Hey, hey guys, it's your Murder Girls here. We're back. We're your hosts. I'm Marie. I'm Raina. And we hope you guys are ready for a brand new episode on this lovely Friday. Did you guys all have a good week? I know there have been some crazy fires all along the West Coast. They've just been horrible. And we hope that if you guys have been affected by any of these fires or you're in these areas, that you guys are staying safe, your families, your loved ones, everyone is safe and you guys are in our thoughts and our prayers for just everyone affected by this terrible tragedy. I know seeing the photos is so devastating. I have so many friends up in Northern California and Oregon and Washington and everything they're posting is just so traumatic. Usually it's us down here in Southern California dealing with fires. So we definitely feel your guys' pain. Thank you to all the first responders out there. You guys are fucking heroes. Seriously. So if you guys are not following us on social media, please go find us right now. We are at Those Murder Girls Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and we are also new to TikTok. Um, We have been releasing our new segment called Bloody Birthdays, which is exclusive to social media. You guys, if you haven't listened to them, they're between like three and five minutes long. They're super hilarious. So be sure you subscribe, listen to them, let us know what you think. And if you guys share a bloody birthday with one of these serial killers that we're posting about, we'll totally hook you guys up with a cute little water bottle. So yeah, just let us know. We hope you guys are enjoying the segment. And I just think we have like the best fans, hands down. Oh my gosh. Seriously, Raina, I think we just have the best fans. The messages we receive from you guys are just so sweet and so supportive. Like we cannot thank you enough. I know. I just love all of you guys. So I think that's enough jibber jabber. I think we should get into today's case. So Marie will be starting us off. We are taking you all to Oregon, up the West Coast in the 1970s. Today we will be telling you the story of the Cowden family massacre. They were brutally murdered while on a family camping trip Labor Day weekend near the Siskiyou Mountains near Carberry Creek in Copper, Oregon in 1974. Initially, they were listed as missing when no one had heard from them after the camping trip. The search for the Cowden family would be the largest in Oregon history still to this day. The search for the family of four went cold, with little to no trace of where they could be. Well, the missing person investigation turned into a murder investigation when their remains were found seven months later near the outskirts of their campsite. Almost five decades later, much of the facts surrounding the family's murder remains a mystery. But today, we will share with you the strange story of the Cowden family killings and whom some people think could be responsible for committing this brutal massacre. So the Cowden family was a small family of four. Richard, the father, was 28. His wife, Belinda, was 22. And they had two super cute kids, five-year-old David and five-month-old baby Melissa. And they also had the most adorable dog named Droopy. He is the cutest basset hound. So the Cowden family, by all accounts, was a typical young family living in White City, Oregon. Richard was a logging truck driver, and Belinda stayed home raising their two children. Both Belinda and Richard's families lived nearby in neighboring cities, which they would always visit on a regular basis. So when Labor Day weekend approaches, Richard originally had plans to haul this huge load of gravel to his house because he was doing some work in his driveway. 
Richard had been making some improvements at home, so they had just planned to stay home all weekend and just get shit done, you know, and Belinda was going to do projects around the house. So Richard's truck that he usually uses to haul heavy loads had broken down, and so he was like, shit, how am I going to get my project done? So he thought, you know what, forget it, it's a holiday weekend, no better time than to take my family out on this camping trip because this is like their favorite pastime. The Cowdens prepared for their trip, packing up all of their stuff, and Belinda reached out to her mom, letting them know she was going camping and that they wanted to stop by on Sunday on their way home to have dinner. Belinda's mom only lived about a mile from the campsite, so it was like totally perfect. So now it's Friday, August 30th, 1974, and the Cowdens are packing up into Richard's 1956 Ford pickup truck with all of their camping gear, and they're heading out to the Siskiyou Mountains. So we're not really sure if we're pronouncing these mountains correctly. So if you want to just hop on social media to correct us, we won't mind. So the Cowdens arrived at their campsite near Carberry Creek on that Friday evening. The following morning on September 1st, Richard and his son David, they went to Copper, Oregon, which was a small town about a mile from their campsite. They wanted to get a few things from the local store. They were spotted by locals at the general store around 9 a.m. purchasing some milk. So after making their purchase, they actually then headed back to the campsite. Now that trip to the store would actually be the last time that any member of the Cowden family would ever be seen again. So Saturday passes and now it's Sunday and Belinda's mom, she's expecting the family over for dinner. So as the day goes on and the sun begins to set, Belinda's mother becomes concerned that the family had not shown up for dinner yet. Now, remember, she only lived about a mile from the campsite and they were planning on coming over for dinner on their way home from the camping trip that evening. So as time continued to go on, Belinda's mom decided to drive down to the campsite to check on them. So she wanted to find out what was taking so long. Where are they at? I mean, my mom would be pissed if I was late for dinner and I'm 31. So I'm sure (laughs) she was like, where are my kids at? So, well, when Belinda's mother arrived at the campsite, immediately she knew that something something was not right. I mean, the Cowden family was nowhere to be seen, yet everything that they had brought with them was still at the campsite. The milk that Richard and David had bought was still on the picnic table. Belinda's purse and baby Melissa's baby food, it was all left out on the table as well. So as Belinda's mother investigated further, she found a dishpan that was full of water on the ground. She found the keys to Richard's truck, and they were just laying in the open in Belinda's purse. The stovetop and the diaper bag, they were also just laying at the campsite in plain view. I mean, everything was normal other than the fact that the Cowdens, they were nowhere to be seen. Richard's truck, it was found close by. It was parked where they had parked it on the day they got there initially. So she walked over. She looked inside. She noticed that all the family's clothes were there. And the only thing that was gone was their bathing suits. Man, that's a mother who knows her Right? (laughs) She knows her family well. So Belinda, she decides to walk towards the creek bed. She thought, okay, well, maybe they went for a swim. Maybe they got lost on their way back. I mean, she was confused at that point, probably not sure quite what to think, you know? Yeah. So at this time, she just wanted to find her daughter and the family. So she's walking down to the creek, and she looks down, and she spots Richard's watch. And this wasn't just any watch either. Like, he had a super sick, expensive watch. So she picks it up and then, you know, she continues on walking 
And then she spots his wallet nearby and she's, you know, just totally tripping out, opens it up and it's full of cash. Well, full of cash, I mean, there was $21 in there, but equivalent today would be $100. So she picks it up and she looks around, you know, just like, where's the family? And they're, you know, nowhere to be found. So she goes back to the campsite just to wait, you know, hoping and thinking that the family's going to return soon. So as she was walking back to the campsite, she finds a pack of cigarettes on the ground. And she's like, okay, this is super weird because these are the same cigarettes that my daughter smokes. So she's sitting around waiting at the campsite and she waits for about an hour and the Cowdens don't show up. So Belinda's mom leaves and she heads to the sheriff's department to report them missing. Not long after she reports them missing, police show up to the campsite and begin looking for the family. They spotted some fishing poles that had been propped up against a tree and some cookware that was left on a tree stump. They looked through Richard's truck and they can see that it hadn't been broken into and they had belongings in there so it didn't look like anything appeared to be missing. And so they go into Belinda's purse and make sure everything's accounted for and it totally is. So where are they then? I mean a whole family just doesn't vanish into thin air. Well apparently they do Marie. I know but if they had left I mean you need your wallet. The baby food? When you have a five-month-old. Yeah, no wonder why her mom went straight to the sheriff's department, you so know? So strange. And the diaper bag. Right, and actually, that's exactly what the police had said. They got this strange and uneasy feeling because it was as if everything was in place at the campsite and the family just, poof, it vanished. So the officers had come to the conclusion that something or someone had led the family away from the site because there were no signs of any struggle whatsoever. Nothing appeared to be disrupted really by any means. But who or what led the Cowden family away from their campsite? So a full-blown search investigation begins for the missing family. And the head of the investigation was Lieutenant Mark Kezer, and he had stated that they felt that they were already behind and time was against them due to the fact that they really didn't start searching for the family until the following day. They didn't prioritize it as very urgent because, like we said, it didn't appear that really anything sinister had happened. You know, I mean, again, everything was just normal at the campsite. So the next morning, which is now Monday, two days after any member of the family had been seen, their family dog, Droopy, was found back at the local general store where Richard had bought the milk. Droopy was scratching at the door trying to get inside. So during the initial stages of the search for the family, police just couldn't find anything. There was no trace of where the family could be or where they could have gone. They searched over 25 miles of trails, roads, and mountain terrain. They had over 150 individuals show up to help aid in the search. Like we said, this ended up being the most expensive search in Oregon history. There was a $2,000 cash reward put up for anybody that had information about the missing family, which is equivalent to $10,000 today, more than $10,000 actually. The detectives on the case were totally stumped and both families were losing hope that they would ever see their loved ones alive again. So as months go by, the family has an idea to release a statement to the locals regarding the upcoming hunting season. This part of Oregon was super popular for hunting, so the family asked all the hunters to please be on the lookout for their missing loved ones. 
So the family released a statement pleading with locals and hunters to please be on the lookout for anything that could possibly be connected to Richard, his wife Belinda, and their two children. The family had hoped that maybe someone would come across some clues or any evidence while out hunting. Seven months after the family was reported missing from their campsite, on April 12, 1975, seven long months after searching tirelessly for the Cowden family, who by all accounts had appeared to have just vanished into thin air, local detectives, they get a call from some hikers. They were these gold prospectors, and they had stated that they stumbled across some skeletal remains that were tied to a tree on a rocky hillside in Copper, Oregon, near Carberry Creek, which was the exact place that the Cowden family had been camping. So the police, they had responded to the scene and found what had happened to look like a male skeleton tied to a tree, just like the caller had stated. So the body, it was extremely decomposed, and that led investigators to conclude that whomever this person was had been there for quite some time. Now, the site of these remains was approximately seven miles from the campsite where the Cowdens had vanished from. And as detectives decided to search the surrounding areas, they came across three more sets of skeletal remains inside a small cave. It had appeared that whomever had placed them there had tried to actually conceal the bodies because when they're, where they were hidden, there were rocks and there were debris and it was kind of blocking the entrance to the cave. So law enforcement turned the remains over to the county coroner. The remains had to be identified via dental records due to the severe decomposition of the bodies. Well, the mystery surrounding the disappearance of the Cowdens was a mystery no longer. All of the remains recovered from the hillside and that small cave were positively identified as Richard, Belinda, little David, and baby Melissa. An initial autopsy was released and it was determined that Belinda and five-year-old David had died as a result of a gunshot from a 22 caliber gun. They'd never said exactly where they were shot. Baby Melissa had died from severe head trauma. The coroner concluded that Belinda and the children could have been murdered elsewhere and then moved to the location of the cave, but he wasn't 100% positive. Richard's cause of death could not be concluded due to his severe decomposition. The coroner said that he believed that Richard had died right where he was found, tied around that tree. Now, initial searches for the family seven months prior, there had been searches inside that cave where Belinda and the kids were found. And searchers stated that they did not see any bodies there. And if there were bodies there, it would have been very obvious at that time. So law enforcement now has a good idea that Belinda and the kids were not killed in that cave. They were killed elsewhere and moved there. But when they were moved into the cave is a mystery. The Cowden family massacre would go down as the most haunting and baffling mysteries in Oregon's history. The cops began to reach out to the public for help, asking for anyone with information to please come forward. They wanted to know, did anybody see the family at the site? before they went missing. They wanted to know if they seen anything suspicious or anything strange or out of place. A couple from Los Angeles was prompted to come forward when they saw these reports on the news pleading for the public's assistance. The couple reported that they had been camping near Carberry Creek on the same afternoon that the Cowdens went missing. They said that they had seen a pickup truck with two men and a woman 
in the area at around 5 p.m. They said that the people inside the truck seemed super suspicious, and they appeared to be waiting for the couple to leave the area. They said that the occupants of the truck made them super nervous, so they got out of there as quickly as they could. The couple was brought in for questioning where they told cops the same story, that the people in the truck seemed super suspicious and that they were waiting for them to move on, and so they did. So cops were now super stoked that they had an actual lead that they were able to go on and investigate. The lead detective, Kazar, said that he personally believed that whomever was responsible for these murders had to have known the area. He thought that it was someone local, someone that lived near the creek or in Copper, Oregon. I mean, the cave and the hillside area, it wasn't just like right off the road. You know, this was an area that someone would have to know pretty well. They would have to have had the knowledge of where it is. So an initial theory of the murders was that Richard himself had shot his family, and then took his own life. But this theory was quickly squashed due to the main reason that, well, there was no murder weapon that was ever found. So if the bodies of Belinda and the kids were moved after they were killed and after searchers had actually looked in the cave, it would have been impossible for Richard to have done this. The coroner himself could never determine the cause of Richard's death. So... I mean, how could he have killed his family, then tied himself to a tree, shot himself? I mean, there would have been a gun wound, which they never found, and the weapon would have probably been fairly close to Richard himself. So that theory was thrown out the window. Now, rumors swirled about Richard's father that he could have possibly been somehow connected to the murders, because shortly after the family's remains were discovered, he had committed suicide. But he was later cleared of any involvement in the murders. Some say that maybe his father just couldn't cope with the reality that his son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren, that that they were gone. Oh my gosh. Flashback to Kara, her dad, passing away. So it's like he he couldn't live without them. So I think the question lingered, who killed the Cowden family? I mean, who would want the family of four dead, let alone two young children, Was it some random transient? Was it a murder of passion? People also were wondering if there was some random serial killer on the loose. I mean, eight other people had gone missing around the same time frame. Well, guess what, guys? A little serial killer history. Those missing eight people would later go on to be tied to Ted Bundy himself. They were actually his victims. I mean, it's just crazy how (laughs) the serial killers cross paths. That is so chilling. (laughs) (laughs) So the cops zero in on a man by the name of Dwayne Lee Little in the disappearance of the Cowden family. Dwayne didn't live in Copper, Oregon. He was from Rutch, Oregon, which is about 25 miles away. Law enforcement was able to determine that Dwayne was in the area of Copper, Oregon over the Labor Day weekend. Now, Dwayne was by no means a stand-up citizen. You guys, he was convicted at the age of 15 for raping and killing a 16-year-old girl. This guy had a rap sheet. Now, at the time of the Cowden murders, Dwayne was 25 years old and a free man. Now, you guys might be asking the same question that I'm asking. How the hell can he go free after killing and raping a 16-year-old girl? Well, Dwayne was sentenced for the rape and the murder of this young girl, sentenced to prison, but he was released. And for what? 
for good behavior, of course. I mean, enough with these good releases for good behavior. It's ridiculous. I know. You're telling me. So I'm like, um, no, keep him there forever. So the way that law enforcement was able to determine that Dwayne was in that area was because he had purchased gas from a local gas station near the campsite that the family was staying at. Local witnesses had seen Dwayne's truck in the area near the campground. Law enforcement now knew that this was the same truck that the couple from L.A. had described with a woman and two men inside. And they now also knew who those people were. It was Dwayne and his parents. Suspicious. Yeah. So the cops bring Dwayne in for some questioning. He immediately denies any involvement in the Cowden murders. He was like, hell no, I wasn't around. I didn't do shit. He also wouldn't give the cops any details about his whereabouts or what he was doing during that Labor Day weekend while he had been in Copper, Oregon. So with literally no physical evidence linking Dwayne to the crime, they had to cut him loose. Well, Dwayne's girlfriend at the time came forward to the cops to inform them that she had seen him with a 22 caliber gun. She had seen the news and she was aware of the murders. And when they started putting some heat on Dwayne, she felt the need to come forward with this information. That wasn't the only reason that she came forward. She found out that Dwayne was cheating on her. So she knew that if she told the cops about him carrying a gun, it would violate his parole. He was still on parole for the murder and the rape of the young teen. Oh, my God. What a way to get back at him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So she went straight to the cops. Well, the cops could not physically locate the gun. Therefore, they brought in Dwayne and they made a deal. They said, either you take a lie detector test in relation to the Cowden family murders or you go to prison because you had been spotted with a weapon. And either way, it was still in violation of your parole. Well, Dwayne refused the lie detector test. He said that he would rather go back to prison. I mean, if that doesn't seem guilty, I don't know what does. So Dwayne goes back to prison only to be paroled again in 1980, which was just a few short years later. So Dwayne's out. He's a free man and he's back on the streets. Well, Dwayne did not last long as a free man. He picked up a pregnant woman who was having car trouble outside of Portland, Oregon. So the knight in shining armor that Dwayne was, he offered her a ride. Well, Dwayne ended up kidnapping the young woman, raping her, and then attempting to murder her. Thankfully, the young woman and her unborn child, they survived the assault and they reported Dwayne to the police. So Dwayne was rearrested and now back in police custody and then he goes on trial. He's tried and convicted of attempted murder, and he's given three life sentences to be served consecutively without parole this time. Thank gosh. Now, to this day, Dwayne is sitting in an Oregon prison serving out his life sentences and has long claimed his innocence in the Cowden family murders. But his cellmate Rusty has something different to say. He said that one day Dwayne had told him that he did commit that heinous crime. Rusty's words were not much for the authorities to go on since he himself had an extensive rap sheet. So Dwayne is continuing to serve his sentence, proclaiming that the only thing he was guilty of is what he has been convicted of by the courts. To this day, not much else is known about the Cowden family massacre. Both Belinda and Richard's families have long believed that Dwayne is guilty of committing the murders of their family members. But again, Dwayne has never been tried or convicted, nor has anyone else. 
Years after the murders, a local miner who owned a cabin nearby the campsite by Carberry Creek, which was the same place that the Cowden family was staying at, he came forward and he said that Dwayne and his parents had come by his cabin that same Labor Day weekend on September 2nd. He said that the family had come by and asked to sign his guest book that he kept for visitors. What? Yeah. Why so would Duane, you put yourself in that place? Yeah, right. <laughs> so Dwayne's parents have long maintained their innocence as well, saying that they have no idea what happened to the Cowden family. And as of 2020, there are no further updates on the Cowden's massacre. It's safe to say that we may never know what happened to this young family. We hope that one day someone will come forward with the truth or that Mr. Dwayne will have the heart to confess and give the family the closure that they deserve. It has been almost 50 years since this family was murdered. 50 years of their families wondering what happened to them. If you or anyone has any information on the Cowden family murders, please reach out to the Oregon Police Department. I think that almost 50 years later, the family deserves to know what actually happened on that fateful Labor Day weekend at that campsite. We hope you all have a safe weekend. Don't forget to make sure you guys are following our social media and YouTube channel for our brand new segment, Bloody Birthdays. It's only exclusive there. Thank you all for joining us on this week's episode of Those Murder Girls Podcast. Bye, Bye guys. guys.